Now, if you would, give yourself to the reading of Scripture. I'm going to read Matthew 28. Those of you who have been here for a while know that this is purported to be the final sermon of our series on Matthew. I'm not sure it's going to be. (laughs) I think it may be the next to last one. When I was a kid... Not when I was a kid, actually. When my kids were young, I used to count. And there were times to count when they were going to be obedient, you know, and, and it was a joke. You know, you weren't angry. As, I'm going to count one, two, three. And what I would do is I'd go, uh, how did that go? I'd go three, two, one half. And then I'd start multiplying in my brain. I'd go three, two, one, one half. And then I'd go, um, let's see, how did that go? I'd go, um, I'd go three, no. Anyhow, I'd start, I, my brain is, 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 is letting me down, but I'd slowly add fractions and fractions and fractions so that there was an infinite number left between one and zero, you know, and I'd never have it really decrease and i think that's what's going on with matthew i think it's just going to continue to like okay next week will be the last one and but it won't be it may be is bob growling matthew 28 1 to 20 this is the word of god and it is what eternally true Now, after the Sabbath, as it began to dawn toward the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to look at the grave. And behold, a severe earthquake had occurred, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled away the stone and sat upon it. And his appearance was like lightning, and his clothing as white as snow. The guards shook for fear of him and became like dead men. The angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus who has been crucified. He is not here, for he has risen, just as he said. Come, see the place where he was lying. Go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Behold, I have told you. And they left the tomb quickly with fear and great joy and ran to report it to his disciples. And behold... Jesus met them and greeted them. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and take word to my brethren to leave for Galilee. And there they will see me. Now while they were on their way, some of the guards came into the city and reported to the chief priests all that had happened. And when they had assembled with the elders and consulted together... They gave a large sum of money to the soldiers and said, You were to say his disciples came by night and stole him away while we were asleep. And if this should come to the governor's ears, we will win him over and keep you out of trouble. And they took the money and did as they had been instructed. And this story was widely spread among the Jews and is to this day. But the eleven disciples proceeded to Galilee, to the mountains which Jesus had designated, the mountain which Jesus had designated. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some were doubtful. And Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Now let's start with verse 1. It says, Now after the Sabbath, as it began to dawn toward the first day of the week. This is the first day of the week. This is Sunday. We call it variously Sunday, the Sabbath, and the Lord's Day. And note that Jesus did not rise from the dead on the Sabbath, the Jewish Sabbath, but on Sunday. That's when they went. That's when they saw him. And this is the reason for the pattern all through the New Testament of the Christians gathering on the first day of the week for the Lord's Day. 
And so today, to this day, all through church history, Christians have changed the Sabbath from Saturday to Sunday to honor the resurrection of the Lord. That's why we worship on the Lord's Day. And it says, as it began to dawn, various other Gospels say as it was dark, as it was light. And so some people with unbelieving hearts say, well, the testimony is different of the Gospels. But the testimony isn't different. Um, The other night I went home uh, from uh, uh, dinner at Heather and Doug's house, our son-in-law and daughter. And by the time I got home, it was dark. And when I left there, it was light. And it's often true that you'll refer to a trip as being dark if you start when it's dark or being light if you end when it's light. And so it was very early in the morning. They started out when it was still dark. They got there when it was light, which makes sense. Now, we are told of Mary Magdalene and the other Mary here, but there were a couple other women with them, which is also recorded by the other Gospels. And they got up early. Why? Well, they got up early to come and to look at the grave, right? But it wasn't really the grave that they came to look at. It was rather the dead body of the Lord. They came to minister to the dead body of their Lord, to keep it from decomposing too rapidly. Joseph of Arimathea had already done that work, but they were there to add to it. And it says, verse 2, having come to anoint Jesus and to grieve, verse 2, behold, a severe earthquake had occurred. For an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled away the stone and sat upon it. I hear that laugh. It is really funny. I'll get to that in a second. Now, an earthquake. Why an earthquake? How do earthquakes happen? I like geology, actually. Um, Earthquakes happen because what? The crust, yeah, tectonic plates move. That's right, yeah. Thank you, Chantal. Uh, these huge, massive parts of this planet that we're on, right? This earth, this, this sphere, and they shift. So when an angel of God comes from heaven to earth, what, is it, what happens? Like, you know, plate tectonic shift. It's something, isn't it? So there's an earthquake, and it's not... A little tremor, right, like we had a while back. Remember that? Some of us were slept through it, and some of us, I was asleep, and instantly I was awake and knew exactly what had happened. It had an earthquake, but it wasn't an earthquake, was it? It was a tremor. But this was an earthquake because it says what? It says a severe earthquake. An angel of God comes to this earth. It's a severe earthquake. Now, some people would see the earthquake, right? Some people would see Jesus. Some people would be more impressed with the earthquake than Jesus having been raised from the dead. Matthew 27:51, we read that, remember Stephen preaching on Good Friday? And, Jesus, and you, you remember that the sermon talked about the veil of the temple being torn in two, four inches thick, 60 feet high. Torn in two. And it says in that same verse, Behold, the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, and the earth shook and the rocks were split. And then the thing that Stephen laughed at, the angels sat on the stone. Now, why was that stone there? Well, the stone was there to make it very clear that this grave was sealed and that nobody was going in and nobody was coming out. And so the purpose of the stone was to show the triumph of our depraved hearts that killed Jesus. We put the stone there so it would be very clear this play, this show, this act is over. And we have won. That's the purpose of the stone. would have been a huge stone big enough to cover the hole, right? And the hole would have been pretty big. And so imagine how big the stone was. We have records from the time that they're big spheres. Probably there was a trench, and you'd lift the stone up, need a number of men to lift the stone up, and then you'd roll it across the hole. So it's no small stone, is it? But what we read is that that stone was lifted up 
and move to the side. All right. And what it says is that the angel of the Lord descended from heaven, verse 2, and came and rolled away the stone. Well, you can roll the stone away in the trench, so it's this big sphere, and you just push it to the side, and then the hole opens up. But if that's what you do, is the angel sitting on it? Now, so apparently rolling it away from the hole, then flipping it over, and then the angel's sitting on it. Okay? And what was this angel like? Well, his appearance was like lightning. What does lightning look like? Lightning's the brightest thing any of us have ever seen. Unbelievably brilliant, intense, and the sound is simply to accompany the light and and sort of be the shadow behind which we see the light itself, right? And this angel, his appearance was like lightning, and his clothing is white as snow. So unbelievably intimidating and brilliant. And therefore, we read in verse 4 that the guards, now these are Roman guards, these are people that are habituated to blood and guts. These are men who are not intimidated, right? That's the reason it's the Roman Empire and not the Roman uh, Caribbean island, right? These men are hard. And what does it say? It says the guards shook for fear of him. You know, they're there to guard the tomb. There's a huge stone. All of a sudden, this angel appears, and he looks like lightning, and his clothes are as bright as snow, and he takes the stone away, and there's a severe earthquake, and then he sits on the stone, and they're, they're scared out of their wits. And the, the Bible tells us they shook for fear of him, and, and the root of that word shook is identical to... What it says about the quake, literally it's the earth quaked severely, they quaked. Same word, basically. All right? So they were like the earth when the presence of the angel of the Lord came. They were reduced to quivering, timid, fearful men. They shook for fear of him, and then they became like dead men, which indicates that they weren't conscious. In other words, where are the guards? Anybody know where the guards are? The guards are gone. The guards are like dead men. First they shook, and now they're out. They're gone. No guards. Then verse 5, the angel said to the women, do not be afraid. And every single time you have appearance of messengers from God, not God, but messengers from God, you have them shaking and trembling. And so the angel said to them, don't be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus who has been crucified. He is not here, for he has risen. And then do you see the little phrase there? Just as he said. (laughs) There are a few I told you so's in Scripture that I get a great kick out of. One is Paul. When he tells them, you know, that none of them should, you know, they shouldn't go ahead and sail. And then later they get shipwrecked and he says, I told you so. (laughs) And here the angel says, just as he said, come see the place where he was lying. And if you go back through the Gospels and particularly through Matthew, you're going to see again and again and again, Jesus saying that he's going to be raised from the dead. He just says it over and over again. And so here the women are showing themselves uh, to be faithless, right? Everybody talks about the women being great, right? And yet their presence at the tomb shows that they didn't believe, whereas the disciples did believe, right? In other words, the male disciples stayed back because they knew Jesus was risen from the dead, and they were just waiting for him to appear, right? Well, no, actually. The women didn't believe, and yet the women were faithful because the women were not ashamed. You remember under the cross and now here at the tomb? All the Gospels are very clear that it's the women who continue to love Jesus and to be willing to identify with him publicly. All the Gospels. They're very, very interesting um, that back 500 years ago, here's what Calvin says about this, right? 
it says he made a start with the women and not only let them see him, but gave them the message of the gospel for the apostles, making them their teachers. <laughs> All right. So here the angel says to the women, don't be afraid, for I know that you're looking for Jesus who has been crucified. He's not here for he is risen, just as he said. Come, see the place where he was lying. Go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. And then what? He told you, just as he said, behold, I have told you. All right? They were looking for Jesus who has been crucified. The angel isn't telling them something, but he's describing reality as it saw it on their way to the tomb. Where is the body? Just as he said, that is a slight rebuke. But then the gentle hand guiding them to the tomb to help their faith to revive. Come see the place where he was lying. Then go tell his disciples he'll meet them, or rather that they'll see him in Galilee. Behold, I have told you. Now, Jesus had told them again and again and again. Now the angel of the Lord has told them also. And verse 8 tells us, And they left the tomb quickly with fear and great joy and ran to report it to his disciples. So they were told to go quickly, and they did. And they left quickly with two emotions that are not mutually exclusive, fear and great joy. That's sweet, fear and great joy. And then, if there was any doubt left in their minds, their resurrected Lord himself. Verse 9, behold, Jesus met them and greeted them. Now, that word greeted is about like our hello or how you doing. It's very informal, very calm, very matter-of-fact, simple. It's no big deal. There you are. And here I am, and what's happening? Calm. No big deal. I didn't take the time to look it up, but there's a quote I love dealing with the resurrection. And the quote says that um, basically the resurrection is no big deal. You know, everybody refers to it as the miracle of all miracles. But it says, if you had never seen the sun rise and you saw it for the first time, would it be a miracle? It would be. We're surrounded by mind-boggling things. In fact, there's nothing in nature that is not mind-boggling. Every single year I go through reminding myself of the wonderful, wonderful gift of the seasons and i remember that we have the seasons why because god himself promised that while the earth remained springtime and harvest cold and heat summer and winter would continue and so every time the seasons change i'm blown away that god has been merciful to us in allowing us to have seasons and on the way over here i was thinking about the fact that you know that Um, you know, that it's fitting that Jesus Christ would rise from the dead at the time when the lilies and the daffodils are blooming, right? And then I thought, you're a twisted sister. Why do the daffodils bloom in spring? (laughs) Why did they bloom in spring thousands of years before Jesus Christ rose from the dead? Because all of the Old Testament points forward to the resurrection and says there is someone coming. And all of the New Testament points back and says someone has come. And all through history, all through history, Easter is combined with spring. And all the plants and all the trees and all the robins and everything is a celebration of the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. And those who don't believe can't see it. To them, it's Gaia. And that means they miss the point. They don't get it. Jesus met them, and how did he greet them? He said, how are you doing? 
That's about the level of it. How you doing? And they came up and they said, how you doing? Now, they came up and took hold of his head and kissed him. No. They came and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. Is Jesus God? Those godly, faithful women worshipped him. Now, I'm going I'm to warn you about something. There are many of you here who worship people and things other than God. And you bow before them. Nobody should receive your adoration and worship other than God. No one. Every single time the cheerleaders at IU get on their knees before the flag of IU and basketball is idolatry. In past centuries, Christians would not even refer to the the emperor of Rome as Lord. They would not allow their mouths to attribute to any earthly authority the authority that's reserved only to God. They would submit to civil authority. We are to submit to the police. We're to submit to the judges. We're to submit to our husbands, to our parents. But we are never to give the honor that belongs just to Jesus Christ. The idea that any Christian would allow his daughter, her, her daughter, to kneel in front of any earthly authority, any earthly symbol, is heinous. Because why? Because there is only one Lord. There is authority. We submit to it. But there's only one Lord. And you look at these women, and if when they got done holding his feet and worshiping him, you were then to ask them to come over and, and, and kneel down in front of the flag of IU. Do you think those women would have done it? Do you think they would have done it? No, they would not have done it. Because this is Jesus Christ, the Lord. This was not a symbol of affection for something that gave them transcendence. Okay? This was Jesus Christ. And you know, being a Christian is not just positive, it's also negative. We will not do certain things because our hearts and our minds and our allegiances and our worship and our adoration belongs exclusively to the one who has won our hearts and who's won victory over sin and death. And so we, we can't do certain things. We can't go to rock concerts and act as if God is in front of us. We can't do it. Even if it's Christian rock stars, we can't do it. Can't do it. Husbands can't treat their wives as if they're God. Well, honey, what do you think we should do? Because I don't want to pray. And you're sort of my pipeline to God. Come on, men. You know what I'm talking about. Can't do it. Can't talk about our grandmother as if she's God just because she's godly. You know? Auntie's godly, but she isn't God. Right, Auntie? And so here they are, and they give the worship to God that belongs exclusively to God. They take hold of his feet and worship him. Verse 10, then Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. So the same thing the angel said. And then a command, go and take word to my brethren to leave for Galilee, and there they will see me. Feminists today like to make a big deal out of this, saying that this is an indication that in the New Covenant, women and men are equal. Women don't submit to men. Wives don't submit to husbands. Women are pastors and elders. Because the first message given of the risen Lord is given to women to deliver. Is it true? It's true that the first message is given to women to deliver. Is it true then that the sexual order established prior to the fall in the garden is overthrown? No, but it's, a, it's, 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 it's seducing, it's enticing, it's satanic, it's snaky. 
But hey, it's true. Listen again to Calvin. He made a start with the women and not only let them see him, but gave them the message of the gospel for the apostles, making them their teachers. Sweet. And then he says, he honors them with exceptional distinction, taking the apostolic office away from the men. For the moment and committing it to them. We shall never be properly prepared to learn this item of our faith unless we lay aside all pride and submit to the testimony of the women. And women are thinking, well, that's an obnoxious thing to say. Why would it be us laying aside pride and submitting to the testimony of women? And I say, well, men understand. And you say, well, that's obnoxious. And I say, no. Remember, in the kingdom of God, the last shall be first and the first shall be last. And you say, I am not the last. And I say, yes, you are, because that's how God made you. God made Eve for Adam. And you go, oh, I can't believe on Easter Sunday would he bring this up. (laughs) And I say, hey, listen, you either glory in the glory that God has given you or you glory in the glory that you take for yourself. You can't have it both. And God has given children the glory of childhood. God has given women the glory of womanhood. God has given men the weakness of manhood. And in heaven, everything's going to be flipped. The last shall be first and the first shall be last. So if you refuse to be last here, you will not be first there. And here we have the women being sent to testify to the men. And so the real truth about these women is that when again and again we see that when the disciples are quaking and fearful and hidden in the room with the doors locked, the women are out there doing what women do, which is to love their Savior and to not be ashamed of weakness and death and putrefaction. And so guess what? They become the apostles. And the apostles become the taught. (laughs) Let her who has ears hear. And so here's the message he says to them. Don't be afraid. Go and take word to my brethren. To leave for Galilee and there they will see me. Isn't that a trip? He calls the remaining 11 his brethren. Now, that's a wonderfully dignifying thing, isn't it? You would think at this point that he would say, go tell the cowards. Go tell the wusses. You know, go tell the timid and weak men who were just a few hours ago fighting amongst themselves as to which of them was the greatest in the upper room. You know, go tell... You know, uh, Peter, in Matthew twelve forty nine, do you remember that there's a question about Jesus' relatives? Remember, Jesus is told that his relatives, his mother, his brothers are, are wanting to talk to him. Do you remember what Jesus said? Jesus said this. He said, stretching out his hand toward his disciples, he said, behold, my mother and my brothers. Matthew 25:40 Jesus says the king will answer and say to them truly I say to you to the extent that you did it to one of these brothers of mine even the least of them you did it to me In Romans 8:16 and 17 the spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God and if children heirs also heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ if indeed we suffer with him so that we may also be glorified with him and then Romans 8:29 for those whom he foreknew he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his son so that he would be the firstborn among many brethren and many of you who hate the doctrine of predestination so much that you didn't hear what I just said you're so resistant to God choosing you or anyone because you think that that impugns his fairness his character 
that you don't hear the second half of the verse. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his son so that he would be the firstborn among many brethren. You know, the Bible refers to women as brethren. All through the New Testament, that's the word that choose, the Delphoi in the Greek, for the combined people of God, male and female. We're all brothers, all right? And what makes you a brother? What makes you a brother is if God has foreknown you and then predestined you to be conformed to the image of his son. Now, if you look around here, I don't think any of us look like lightning. And I don't think any of our raiment looks like snow. And yet, if you look around, you know what this week has been for me? This week has been for me seeing how this congregation is conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. And I've just been going, yes, all week. And those of you who are visiting think, oh, you know, there he goes flattering his congregation. Let me tell you, I don't do that. (laughs) But all week I've just had gift after gift after gift after gift coming from seeing you conform to the image of Jesus Christ. Let me ask you a question. The best musicians at IU, is it normal for them to play the music that they play here? Is that normal? People who are early music violinists, do they normally strum a guitar with stupid chords? You know, G, C, D? No, they don't normally do that. The sopranos normally sing the aria from St. Matthew's at nine months pregnant. Do they? No. And why don't they? They don't because they want to show their best. Do you know, all week all I've seen is the fruit of the Holy Spirit as you as a congregation are conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. Think of how many people were here working to clean this place up yesterday. And the joy. You know, no nastiness. I told you to use the vacuum cleaner. Why didn't you change the bag? Change the bag, you stupid idiot. No, it was celebration. Then yesterday morning, there were 50 men here to be taught the word of God at David's Mighty Men. And there were lots of donuts, and they were good donuts. And one man brought his own special bottle of orange juice. Big one. Who was that? Lane. (laughs) And this week the elders and pastors have had occasion to discipline young men. And the young men have said, yes, sir. Now, is that normal for young men? Is that the account normally of movies that we watch? Young men being disciplined and saying, yes, sir. (laughs) wouldn't be much plot. Actually, it would be a lot more interesting the movies we watch. You know, imagine making a movie of young men that say yes, sir, when they're disciplined. (laughs) And being happy and then, like, loving the men that just disciplined them. There have been men who have written legal briefs this week that are the fruit of this congregation because the Holy Spirit has, has, has conformed them to the image of Jesus Christ. Do you understand? They are Jesus' brothers, and they're doing the work of the kingdom of God. There are women who are holding on to their twins, despite the call of the doctors to go ahead and abort them. No, 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 I'll just stay on the sofa and on the couch. And if God chooses to take my children, so be it. But until he takes them, they will be safe in my womb. And Jesus says, go tell my brothers. You guys, I know that you feel that you are absolutely hopeless and that every time you try to honor God, you dishonor him. And if you want to start counting the ways that these disciples have dishonored Jesus, the list could go on a long time. I mean, it's hard to overemphasize the fact that in the upper room, as Jesus was preparing for the passion, his death, They fought amongst themselves as to which of them would be the greatest. Just hours before his crucifixion, that's what they were doing. 
Their failures are huge. My failures are huge. Your failures are huge. But day by day, the work of the Holy Spirit is making you into a brother of Jesus Christ. And Jesus did not ashamed, not embarrassed, not punitive. Like as a father pities his children, so the Lord pities those who fear him. For he knows our frame that we are made of dust. Remember in James, it says, If any man lacks wisdom, let him ask of the Lord who provides bountifully. Without what? Without finding fault. And so here Jesus is, and he's not finding fault with us. And you and I have more reasons to be found fault with than the disciples, right? I don't think any of us are sitting here thinking that if we had been in the upper room, we would have been focused on Jesus. Jesus is everything to me. Right? None of us think we wouldn't have been fighting about which of us was the greatest, right? Do you know what your real problem is? Your real problem is that you think that the preacher is the great one. But that's wrong. And all through history, people have refused to come to Jesus Christ because of the scandal of him having them led to him by a preacher. And what you have to realize is that it pleases God to have the message come to you by a man who's a sinner instead of an angel who's perfect. Sometimes the angels appear, but honestly, people, honestly, if you think of Moses, honestly, if an angel appeared here, you'd plead for me. Because you could not handle it. And God lowers himself to you by giving you a man who has feet of clay. And that's not a nice thing. We've prettied it up, you know. Feet of clay. Well, he has feet of clay. You know, not his brain. His brain is sharp as a wit, you know. And his tongue, his tongue is, you know, jewels come out of his mouth. But his feet, you know, are of clay, you know. And so we've prettied it up, and we think it's no big deal to have feet of clay. Well, honey, you know, I have feet of clay. No, when it says feet of clay, what that means is that we are absolutely pathetic, every single one of us. You know why men don't discipline their children? It's real simple. Because those men are absolutely corrupt to their heart. They know it. And they don't have the audacity to try to tell their son what to do because their son knows how corrupt they are. That's the reason we don't discipline our sons. Because we know if we discipline our sons that we're saying to God as our father to discipline us. And, you know, that's that's a trade-off we don't want, you know. <laughs> you know. Instead, we're like my favorite illustration, which is the, the trainer who was interviewed Famous boxing trainer, I forget his name, and he said, you know, the thing I have to beat out of every single man I train is I have to beat out of him the notion if he gets in the ring and he doesn't hit the guy hard, that he won't hit him hard. He says it's a lie that every boxer tells himself, you know, if I don't hit him hard, he won't hit me hard. And we can just, you know, bear hug until the end, you know. And this is the great, great lie of fatherhood and motherhood. Which is, you know, I'm a sinner, and so how can I tell my son what to do when he sees me? And so let's just have a truce. I won't hit him hard, and he won't hit me hard, and then God won't hit us hard. And yet it's appointed unto man once to die, and after that the judgment. And God has no sin, and God will judge you perfectly, including your failure to discipline your son. And you are hopeless. And then Jesus comes along, and those who believe in him, he says, my brothers. Not because they weren't fighting in the upper room, and not because they weren't pathetic, but because they had faith in him. But it's very humiliating to have faith in Jesus, because you don't bring anything in your hand, you just come to him. You come naked. You come as a worthless, hopeless father. You come as a rebellious wife. You come as a dishonoring son and daughter. You come as a shock jock pastor. And you come.
For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his Son, so that he would be the firstborn among many brethren. Are you a brother of Jesus Christ? Are you one of the many brothers? Do you believe in Jesus? Jesus goes on from this point and we read first of all a short little editorial note it only occurs in this gospel here and that's the account of the lie told by the guards and it's kind of humorous if you look at it it says while they were on their way on their way to Galilee. Where was Galilee? Galilee was Owen County to Bloomington's Monroe County. Galilee was dirty. Galilee was poor. Galilee was the place where people in Bloomington looked down on it. So Jerusalem looked down on Galilee. In fact, they called it Galilee of the Gentiles. And Gentile was not a nice word to a Jew. All right. While they were on their way, the disciples and the women to Galilee... Some of the guard came into the city and reported to the chief priests all that had happened. Notice some. What happened to the others? Any idea? Well, the others were probably hiding, right? Only some of them had the courage to go to the authority and tell them what they had done, or rather what they had not done. All right? Some of them... came into the city and reported to the chief priests all that had happened. And when they had assembled with the elders and consulted together, so you have a meeting of the Sanhedrin. And let me remind you, these are the religious leaders. Can anybody question, having come through the book of Matthew, it is consistently the religious leaders who are the opponents of holiness, righteousness, truth, the Son of God, and the kingdom of heaven. It is consistently the religious leaders who are all about themselves, their kingdom, their money, their reputation, their power, their dignity. All through the gospel, it's the religious leaders who are leading the attack upon everything that's pure and right and good. And so here they are again doing what they do. They lied before, they suborned perjury. They took false charges to Pilate. They hounded the crowds, whipped them into a frenzy, so the crowds called for the crucifixion of God. And now after the fact, they've lost. The guards come and tell them what happened. And so what do they do? They lie again, the religious leaders. All right. And it says what? When they assembled with the elders and consulted together, They gave a large sum of money to the soldiers. Money makes the world go around, doesn't it? Or the journalists say, follow the money. Where does the money go in this story? Well, it goes to Judas and it goes to the guards. And it's never, ever used for righteousness. And here's what they said. The money is exchanged. They say, verse 13, you were to say his disciples came by night and stole him away while we were asleep. And if this should come to the governor's ears, we'll win him over and keep you out of trouble. And they took the money and did as they had been instructed. And this story was widely spread among the Jews and is to this day. And it is actually to this day. It's still spread, that story. You can find it in print. Now, let me, let me, and in fact, we have the account of Justin Martyr somewhere around 150 A.D. saying that, uh, This is the account. Well, you have a Christian writing at the time. This is the account. So if Matthew writes it and then if Justin Martyr writes it, you know they wouldn't write that this is the account unless everybody knew and had heard it, right? Now think about these guards. That's the account that they're giving. And their account is what? We were asleep and they came and stole the body. So they're walking along the road and some dude comes up to him and says, hey, man, I... You were one of the guards over there at the tomb, right? And they say, yeah, I was, I was at the tomb. So what happened? Well, I'm kind of ashamed to admit it, but 
we were asleep and they came and they took his body. Are you serious? Yeah, that's what happened. All of you were asleep? Yeah, we were all asleep. Man. So, like, are you going to be executed? No, 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 that's okay. No. Wow. You were there to guard them. And like anybody that fails gets executed with the Romans, right? And you all fell asleep. And none of you are going to be executed. And it's cool, dude. Right? Yeah, right. Wow. Hey, see you later. So then the next guy comes along, and the next guy says, hey, weren't you one of those guards? And the guy says, yeah, I was one of those guards. I mean, they're notorious, right? All of Jerusalem would have been speaking. Weren't you one of those guards? Yeah, I was one of those guards. So, so like, what happened, man? Well, we all fell asleep, and then they came and took his body. All of you? Yeah. You all fell asleep, right? Yeah, we all fell asleep, all of us. Not one of you stayed awake. No, we were all asleep. Then how do you know what happened to his body? Well, I know because I didn't see it. But did anybody else not not see it? No, we were all asleep. I mean, you guys, it's ridiculous. It's absolutely ridiculous. It's obvious they have to manufacture a story, right? And it's obvious the only people that will believe the story are people who want to believe a story. And have you noticed this, how often parents want to believe the lies of their children? (laughs) Mom? My teacher all of a sudden pulled her wig off and underneath was a sharp butcher's knife and she went to the person sitting in the front row of the classroom, cut off four fingers and bit off the thumb. And that's why I don't like her. And no, I won't do my homework. And that's why I got a D. Because the principal goes out during the day and the principal lies down in the mud on the football field and then takes his shoe and throws it over the top of the stands and hits the scoreboard. And, you know, Mom, that's why I skipped school yesterday. And, you know, Dad, Mom took my baby sister and threw her against the hood of the car. And then jumped up and down saying, Hail Mary on her. I mean, people, we all fell asleep. And to this day, that's what the Jews believe. They rolled the stone. They crucified him. They put a spear into his side. They set guards. Here's the end of it. The end of it is that if you will not believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, you will not believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It does not matter if your son before your eyes turns godly from wicked. Do you understand me? It does not matter if your daughter repents of her adultery and confesses it to her husband. You will not believe. In other words, firstborn among many brothers, right before your eyes, this child that you knew from infancy can become a man and a woman of God, and by God you will not believe. And so you'll manufacture the most cockamamie story you can come up with in your life. You know, the guards fell asleep. Of them. And then they stole the body. And how do you know that? Well, because I woke up right when they were stealing the body, but I was asleep and everybody else was asleep. And I got paid a lot of money to tell that lie. Are you believing it? 
Yeah, I'm believing it. Why? Because I'm a very proud man. And because I refuse to bow the knee before the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Well, that's kind of stupid, isn't it? It may be stupid, but I love my pride. I love it. And I will go to hell with it. And so then Jesus says to them what? Jesus says at the very end of the text, we got the story, and then it says, but the 11 disciples, what had happened to the 12th? He was in hell. Why? Because he would not repent. He would not come to Jesus Christ because he loved wickedness, he loved theft, he loved lying, and he loved suicide. And so he turned from this graceful, loving, tender man, Jesus Christ. He turned from him. And he killed himself. And he said, to hell with it. That was Judas. But these 11, the 11 disciples proceeded to Galilee, to the mountain which Jesus had designated. When they saw him, they worshipped him. But some were doubtful. Isn't that us? Some were doubtful. And Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And, lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. We're going to have one more sermon. And it's going to be on that. But listen, people, if you... Come to Jesus Christ. You know what you're going to do? You're going to come to church every single Sunday. Not because the preacher needs money. If you stop paying me, I'll still preach. And if you come back next week, I won't be in a suit. Not because of the preacher. And not because of the elders. And not because we have to pay the mortgage on the building. If we lose this building to the banks, praise God, we'll keep meeting And we'll keep having the preaching of the word of God. Why? Because Jesus is to be the firstborn of many brothers. And because we hunger and thirst after the word of God. Because we want to be conformed to his image. Because we doubt and worship. And so next week, almost all of us are going to be here again. But if you're not here, and if you're not in a church where you live... And if you don't hunger and thirst after the word of God and the praise of God and the fellowship of the people, you don't belong to Jesus Christ. So do you belong to Jesus Christ? Do you have hope in heaven? Is your righteousness your own or is it Jesus? Is it yours or is it Jesus? Is it yours or is it Jesus? Whose is it? It's Jesus, yeah. And so because we cling to Jesus, we have hope, and we don't parade that as a superior thing with any of you who don't have hope. But we just say to you, the table's set, the curtain's been ripped, the earthquake done happened. The angel's sitting on the stone. Jesus is calling us brothers, us scumbags here brothers. Party with us. Party with us. Because he bears it all. He bears our sin. He bears our sorrow. He bears death. He's the victor.